Welcome to The Tech Entrepreneur, a podcast for business entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors who want to do more with technology, accelerate their business, and avoid the pitfalls of software development. Hello, and welcome to The Tech Entrepreneur podcast, a podcast dedicated to applying technology to real-world business problems. My name's Phil Telfer. I'm the co-founder of ClearSky Logic, a tech agency based in Edinburgh. Continuing our theme in the energy sector, today's guest is Rob Einan, a director at New Energy Consulting, who's a wealth of experience in senior positions in the industry. So hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Phil. Thanks so much for having me. So do you want to start off by just giving us a bit of your background and tell us how you kind of got to where you are now? Uh, yeah, certainly. So as you said, I'm a, a director of New Energy Consulting. We are a, a, kind of a boutique consultancy who focuses on with getting energy retailers to work better at or better within the energy market. So we help both established challenges and uh, new entrants into the market. We generally have an operational focus and we support across the whole customer journey, but we have a wide pool of associates who help out in anywhere uh, in energy retail. My background is one I've been working for energy retailers since 2004, started off at one of the big six worked for a few challenges, joined OVO when they were just a couple of months old uh, before helping set up Green Star Energy. Um, I left there in 2016 to become a consultant and together with my co-founders we set up New Energy Consulting in 2017. Um, so we've just had our three anniversary, four anniversary, so um, yeah it was the first of March. Cool. Company yeah, just like us actually, yeah, happy birthday. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a really interesting, a real wealth of experience there. Obviously, uh, this being the, the tech entrepreneur, we're kind of interested in the technology side for a lot of things. We have spoken in the past a little bit about the, the ability for suppliers to differentiate themselves. Obviously, aside from price, the main thing they can do, aside from the brand and price rather, is um, the customer-facing uh, uh, portals and apps. Are there any particular organizations that you've seen that are doing a, a, a good job here or any particular features you've come across in customer portals and customer facing apps that you think are working pretty well? Uh, yeah, I think there are, there are a few good examples. You've got uh, Utilita um, who've you know been focused on, on prepay and smart prepay driving that long before the smart rollout came in and, and forced people on that route who've got a very, very good app for enabling customers to manage their usage and, uh, and pay and top up their meters, which it has it's been around for, for a number of years. So it's been very incremental, but it, it's, you know, it's been winning awards, uh, won a load again in, in January, I think. There is uh, Pure Planet, which as an app-based supplier is unsurprisingly, uh, has, a, has a very good app, very easy to use, and has Wattbot, it's um, chatbot enabled within it which helps the customer self-serve and lets them deal with a lot of queries that way. And the other one I find kind of on the other side of that is, is Octopus Energy, who've got a very good portal, which is very easy to use and works fine on a internet browser on your mobile phone, but they don't actually have an app, which for a company as tech-led as they are, I do always find a little bit surprising. But their portal itself is, is pretty good and gives you most of the functionality that you're after. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it, for a company that... Uh of that particular uh, approach to doing what I would think of as being a tech-first approach to the to the energy sector. I suppose the main 
idea behind these things is to avoid people phoning call centers. Is yeah. that is that it? Is that is that the main sort of thrust you think of the sort of digital platforms that are put on in front of customers? I think there are two principal reasons for it. One is to reduce cost of serve by helping customers self-serve. You know, it's much easier for a customer to log onto an app, get the latest bill, you know, amend their direct debit, change their bank details, uh, make a top-up payment, whatever it might be, through an app rather than have to queue up, uh, wait to, to wait to speak to somebody. So if you can get customers to self-serve, that obviously saves you having an agent ready at the end of the phone to answer those queries. The other element, though, is if, if you make life really easy for customers, is that you can increase loyalty, which you know, reduces churn, and the cost of acquisition in, in energy retail is, and particularly the domestic market, is such a high element of the margin that you can make up a customer that is, you know, I don't think anyone really makes any money in year one of supply. And certainly those that are competing on price as well certainly aren't making any money once the acquisition fees rolled in. So if you can dramatically reduce churn and keep customers year on year, you're far more likely to make uh, a net net profit of that customer, which at the end of the day is what suppliers need to do. Um, so if you can you know, create that that brand engagement and brand loyalty by having those really, kind of really innovative app that makes it really easy for customers to, to get the information they need to see the data, particularly when we move into a, a smart world and you've got smart homes and EVs and everything and everything's going to be running through, you know, one or two apps and you, you want to control everything. If you can kind of create that ecosystem which keeps customers contained, you're far likely to have um, to have greater brand loyalty. Mm. If you look at the the success that that Apple has in loyalty, is that you know then you know Samsung sell more phones than than they do, but Samsung you know, just pretty much just sell phones, whereas Apple will sell your laptop, your desktop, your tablet. Get Samsung do do tablets as well, but they'll do you know Apple TV and everything. They get you within that kind of that closed garden, and there are so many people who are multiple Apple users um, across various products, which all you know, high end, very expensive products. Uh, but because everything works so seamlessly together, it it works really well. And you've got no one else has really replicated that. Google has to an extent by providing the software behind the Chromebooks and and um, and all the Android phones, but you don't have that. That ease of transfer of data between between various things. Certain apps do, you know, podcast apps will work across many programs and they'll always catch up from where you last got to. The Kindle app, doesn't matter what you read on the Kindle, that's always up to date, whichever uh, piece of hardware it is you use to, to pick up the book next. But um, Apple has that kind of integrated across the whole the whole hardware piece as well. Mm. If you can create that, that wall garden with an energy as well by having your app being the front for all the other services that, that you might be plugging into it. So whether it is your smart thermostat, your EV charging or whatever else, and then people assume that the energy company becomes the um, that key that locks everything together um, and they'll be less likely to switch away. Yeah, I love the sound of that, actually. I mean, is anyone actually doing something along those lines where they're creating an app that really is your hub for not only the fact, you know, okay, you might be taking meter readings, making payments, that kind of stuff, but uh, replacing the in-home display and taking live data from smart devices in the home, taking live data from smart meters, perhaps even from your EV, you know, even batteries, those kind of things. I mean, I, I guess that's, yeah, maybe we're talking about the future, but, you know, is anyone really doing anything in that kind of space at the moment? Um, there are, there are certainly, I, I, I'm not aware of one, but I probably am incorrect in this, but, but there are certainly companies out there who are providing those interfaces to enable that. So, there's a few 
Antec um, and, and technology companies coming out of, out of the Nordics at the moment who are doing some some good work. And they're either producing whole apps or they are being embedded within within apps uh, and creating gateways. So there's Enode or Enode who provide um, APIs to smart home devices so that you can you know, connect with you know, smart home devices aren't that numerous at the moment, but you know, eventually they'll have connections through to you know your, your washing machine, your dishwasher, so they you can turn those on remotely or or have them turned on by a price control. There are you know loads of companies, Elic do them, um, presenting loads of smart metering data in really interesting ways and providing good collaboration and uh, comparisons to, to previous periods. And so you can have some apps that, that uh, really are very clever, but I don't think yet that uh, there isn't there are apps that are really kind of hiding all that behind the supplier set of branding to to a great extent where you know I think I don't know if British Gas's app for instance has all the high functionality built into it that they have and I'd imagine that for high users who are not supplied by British Gas that you have to use the Hive app to to use it and they won't allow that to be embedded into another supplier's app mm-hmm. for that probably for that exact reason to avoid the other supplier getting the um, kind of getting the control. Yeah. You're talking earlier about people being given a really good customer experience using digital um, customer facing things. So we've got, you know, apps and, and portals. And you know, talking about cost to serve and and some of those things if they work really well, they can help to reduce churn. Are there facts and figures that are, you know, available which people can look at and say, yeah, definitely, if I create a really good digital client-facing um, app or portal, then I can not only reduce contact calls into my call center, but actually I can charge a, uh, a rate which isn't necessarily there just to kind of go and fish for large numbers of clients that you might have to do if you were competing on a price comparison site you've actually got something which is sustainable and giving customers just a really good digital experience in, in the sort of self-serve space. There's one company called Hometree which provides uh, boiler cover and kind of in-home support for your pipes and, and, and that kind of thing. And their stats show a 30% decrease of churn where where that's built built on. So by getting that, that kind of loyalty, by having a kind of a partnership deal with them. So that that was their kind of their kind of figures that come up to it. So um, and I know that Elic produced some stats both on reducing churn, increasing engagement, um, and reducing usage as well, which I don't have to hand. But they've they've um, done some stats on their original customers they've had on for two or three years in the Nordics. Um, so there's some good um, some good figures there from what, what they've been able to achieve. So I think there's there's certainly real benefits uh, that can be done, and there's some some tangible figures out there that can be used to to share the return on investment. Yeah, cool. Mentioned there's some of the Nordic countries. Are there countries such as those or others which you think are leading the way in terms of some of the future things? So in terms of EB, EV, um, smart meter rollout, renewables, that kind of thing. The countries that we should be looking to to perhaps show us the way to some extent. Well, I think. Norway and Iceland, in terms of renewable generation, are definitely are up there to the point where you know, Norway has these massive gas, gas shelves and doesn't really use any of the gas themselves. They just sell it on because they've, they've got themselves locked down. But they do have, in you know, Iceland's got this geothermal capacity, which is not, not really 
Um, something quite unique, isn't it? Different. It's not really something yeah. that we can kind of mimic over here. Not so much. Although there is a geothermal uh, plant being mooted down in, in Cornwall or, or Devon or something, which um, can produce quite a bit of energy, which was interesting when I saw that pop up. Uh, and Norway has large access to hydro as well, which is, and you know, I suppose if we were to look at Scotland on its own, that, that could be the case, but not, not Britain as a, as a country. But with the with the Nordics, they've had uh, they've had smart meters uh, as a high percentage of meters for for quite a while. To the fact that they're now in the phase of replacing their original generation smart meters with next generation smart meters, so ones that are more in line with the technology that we're now installing. But it means that they've had customers with smart meters and with smart meter data for a number of years, and so that's beginning to produce the products that can take advantage of that. The Norwegians as well are doing very well on EV rollouts. Um, there's a few EV companies coming out of there. Um, uh, and Volvo's, or what used to be Volvo's EV company, which I think has been completely spun out now by the owners, is uh, also doing doing pretty well. Um, you know, targeting Tesla or that kind of more upmarket end. So I, I think for this, because they're just a bit further along the pathway uh, than we are, and they've they're just a bit further on, on that, that development as well. Absolutely, yeah. We talked once before about um, looking at creating software for, for back office processes as well. And we've both sort of seen this phenomenon where even though a company goes and designs and creates or commissions some bespoke software for back office processes to automate and to streamline, we've seen sometimes existing perhaps handmade processes using spreadsheets for example that remain and old habits are kind of hard to to move away from can you tell us a bit more of some of those experiences you've had in that area yes yes i remember um uh going to to visit a um a client where we were doing a, a customer journey review looking at uh, the full journey looking for uh, points of uh, where automation could be applied, where um, it'd be good to get their systems to be uh, developed to, to improve things, and uh, generally where there was kind of inefficiencies that, that could be ironed out. And the, uh, the CEO proudly told me that they had no spreadsheets in the business, that they'd gone through a process of, of removing them all, um, using the workflow functionality in their systems. And then as I got taken over to the first team manager, he was going to you know show me what they did for for a few hours before kind of handing me around the chain uh we walked past uh someone using a spreadsheet um which the ceo challenged and uh for them it was it was a matter of of confidence that they weren't confident in using the workflow in the system they weren't comfortable that things wouldn't get lost between the cracks that they wouldn't be able to, to track their work as much as they didn't be as confident that they were delivering the value that they, they hoped to deliver to the business. And it's, you know, kind of that then became kind of where I started to try and unpick why the, the previous work that they'd done wasn't embedded a bit more. And it was partly the training. So once decisions had been made and the improvements were made, it, it wasn't trained out as well as it could have been. I think there was a bit of a train the team leaders and get them to filter it down the teams. Um, but there wasn't really that that kind of properly um, engaging training where every kind of people brought in and, and showing the benefits and the time savings they could get by by not putting things in Excel. Uh, but equally, the, the, you know, these people weren't involved in the process of scoping out how these changes could be made. So there was a um, 
you know, the change to, to moving to spreadsheets to, to this workflow system. But, you know, no one really looked at how does that actually feel for, for the agents? What is it they'd be looking for? So the process worked fine. Um, you know, things didn't fall through the cracks. Everything was caught up, but that wasn't really explained to people. They weren't able to go and see what they'd done and see all the queries they'd started and what state they're at. And you know, that feedback of being able to to look at um, at things and, and see where they'd got to as well wasn't really ever shown to people. So no one really knew. You know, no one had that kind of confidence that that new process was working. So they just fell back into old habits. So that became a real a real function of the work that, that we were doing um, was to make sure that, that that didn't happen again, that the changes that other people had previously identified were embedded properly. And then the change when we made further changes that those were also communicated in a way that helped everyone understand what was going on. We spent the time to, to listen to a lot of feedback before sort of changes were applied and, and implemented. Mm. Yeah, I've um, I've seen situations like that myself as well. Yeah, it seems to me that actually the, the people who are doing those, who are behaving like that, they actually probably care quite deeply because they're given responsibility for something and and they know that their process works or they know that they can handle it and they and they know where things are going right and when they're going wrong. And perhaps with automation, often what a lot of the problems are is that they can't see what's happening. And maybe they because they can't see it or touch it or feel it, that they feel like they may be losing control and they still feel like they're responsible for it. And I think one of the things we found to help to combat that is to, you know, if possible or where possible, for, for some of those key people who own those processes to be involved in the commissioning of software and processes to so that they're, they're, they're fully involved from the start and they're helping to design it. And actually, you know, those people are in the, the greatest place to design those processes because they will know all of the different ins and outs. They'll know, you know, every kind of permutation that they're likely to come across. And unless you've done that, you know, you, you're going to be making a lot of assumptions about automating anything. And, um, yeah, you can end up with a much better product, I think, if you engage people like that. And obviously then the problem that you just articulated, you know, can, can be combated as well. Definitely, you've got you've got to embed, embed the yeah the the subject experts have got to be embedded in that in that redesign process certainly. But the the other thing as well is that the people who are less kind of invested in the process working well invested in in the company, you know, they're yeah they're, then they'll take that new process and they're thinking, well, if I trigger this off and then half of them are falling down, you know, into a black hole somewhere in the technology, you know, I didn't design the process, it's not my fault, uh, and I'll have you know. When it comes, if only half of them make it to step three, that means I've only got to do half of the step threes I would do normally. Yeah. Um, so it's less work for me, and that's great. And I, I get to, you know, spend more time on uh, Facebook, BBC Sport website, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's definitely the people who are, you know, got a much greater desire to to uh, you know to do their job well and do it properly, and the real the real people that you want to be keeping motivated in the company. Mm, absolutely. Just kind of one final question, really, which is, if you could change anything or fix one thing in the energy sector, what would it be? <laughs> uh, good. It's, yeah, there, there are so many things that, that frustrate me and, and, and continue to frustrate me. I think probably it uh, is one of policy, and it's around all the elements of cost that are out of supplier's control. I think that's the thing that's bugging me at the moment. Because for all this effort around trying to improve your processes, reduce your operating costs, 
there's there's so little uh, parts of the of the cost base that a supplier has they can actually control. Um, so much of it's wholesale, which is fine because there's there's an element of control to there depending upon your your hedging practices and and your ability to trade well. But all the network costs, all the green levies, uh, all those various elements, and then the way that they're collected and paid through as well, which sets up suppliers potentially to to fail. You know where they're using money they should be setting aside as as working cash flow and um, and then spending that money and not having the ability to recuperate it later. But you can't, it's so hard to generate a price difference genuinely rather than just taking a loss on those customers and hoping you can recuperate it through through renewals um, and a kind of lifetime value. So if you could strip out all those levies and costs and put them in general taxation, which, you know, if they were moved to, to the AT or to income tax, would actually be applied much fairer across society as well. You'd have the, the double benefit of being able to have efficient companies to really generate a price difference without having to sell at a loss. Um, but you'd also bring a load of people out of fuel poverty at the same time by by taking those costs out of the bill. There's you know it, it kind of corresponds a little bit with the noise that um, a few people are championing around moving the costs um, or spreading the costs more between electricity and gas because you know as the electricity system gets more and more renewables in it and we're trying to push people to electrify heating because the hydrogen is still too far away you know then they're just going to keep paying these costs when they could be doing you know that that's going to be the green industry whereas gas which is where the one at the 100 percent of gas is is going to be um you know generating at least generating particulates and even if it's green gas it's still not really green yeah but those ones those ones aren't having it and if you get if you just remove those costs completely you reduce the cost of electricity and that makes technology such as heat pumps and those things that can really help us drive towards the net zero future um, make those costs stack up a lot more as well, which can only be good. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, however we can move towards the sustainable future has got to be the way ahead, isn't it? Not just the kind of, you know, the problems of here and now, it's uh, looking to the future and having that ability to, to do that is just so important. Thanks very much, Rob. It's uh, fantastic to hear all those words of wisdom. I hope um, you all found it useful. We'll be recording many more of these podcasts over the coming weeks and we'll be continuing with our theme of energy for many of those, as well as interviewing exciting guests from the world of business and technology. So until next time, thank you all for listening and we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Tech Entrepreneur, brought to you by ClearSky, the digital transformation agency for scale-ups and established business who believe you don't need to be held back by technology. Whether you need software to help your customers self-serve, a mobile app to manage customer engagement, or automation to make sure your staff are spending time on what matters most, ClearSky provides dedicated software development teams in the UK ready to take on your next project. Find out more at clearskylogic.com. Dot com.